Matthew chapter 5, and we're going over about seven verses uh, in chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. I think oftentimes, uh, salt and light, now you understand why this is up here, right? That's covered um, separately from the other verses that we're covering 17 through 20, uh, which is that Christ came to fulfill the law. Uh, But we will see in a moment how it is that it makes sense as we put it all together, we group it. Now, the title of this morning's message is, You Are Salt, Light, and Righteous in Christ. Those three, we need to understand, um, are all a part of our faith in Christ. We are many things to many people. We're a friend, co-worker, spouse, parent, child, teacher, nurse, accountant, counselor. We're all kinds of things to so many different people. But no matter what you are in the practical, positional, or personal sense to someone else, what matters most is not your work or what you do, but who you are in Christ. That's really what should be foremost. That really is the very thing that should be eminent in our lives. Without understanding this truth, it is very difficult to live the Christian life by working hard to fulfilling, living righteous in a righteous way in our own strength. It is very hard to do that. In fact, we know the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and all the religious leaders of Jesus' time could not do it. It's no different today. We can't do it in our own strength. We need someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. We need God's Spirit to indwell us. We need to go about our lives with the power of the Spirit, and in the Spirit, and walking according to the Spirit. Christianity is not a works-based faith. It is a grace-based faith that relies on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this is why I believe that the study this morning is so important. We need to begin by understanding that being the salt of the earth and being the light of the world does not earn our way into heaven because of what we do. It is a fact that this is what we are in Christ and in turn need to really understand and grasp what this means. What is being salt? In light, look like in a Christian. Now, it's important to note that what we have this morning comes right after Jesus taught that those who are persecuted and reviled for righteousness and for his name's sake are blessed. Jesus pointed, in fact, to the Old Testament prophets who were persecuted and said, If you stay faithful, As they did through others reviling them, you do, and persecuting them, you do, just as examples, there's a great reward for you in heaven. Now, the way the world sees it, there was an article that was written by Time Magazine back in 2003 that I believe is very fitting because it reflects the way way things are today. Now, fast forward 14 years, but it's the same thing today. You see, the world would rather Christians and them sharing their faith would remain private. And when you do come out as Christians, that you just simply simply 
uh, close your mouth, not say a thing, and you're good, right? Kind of keeping you at bay. Do good works, that's fine. But don't say anything about sin. Don't say anything about righteousness. Don't, don't say anything especially about judgment. We will honor you. The world will honor you because of your good works. There was a man by the name of Edward Miller who was a missionary. He was in Baghdad and he was looked at favorably. And this is what the article said. It said, quote, Back in Baghdad, Mennonite committee employee Miller feels no impulse at all to share his faith with his clients. He says, You have to realize that Christianity has been part of the Middle East for 2,000 years. People here know all about my religion and don't need me to explain it. I don't feel I have anything more to teach the Muslims than they have to teach me, close quote. Why is Edward Miller praised by the world? Well, because he doesn't say anything about Christ and simply performs his work. It was a humanitarian effort. I know he had the title of missionary, but it ends up being that if all you go out there to do is to help people practically and never share the word of God, then you fail to be truly a missionary in the biblical sense. So this is why he was praised by the world. Because he went out and did a wonderful work, but never ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't care to make disciples. He doesn't care to be as Christ, to seek and save the lost, or to do the work of an evangelist. And therefore, he is praised by the world for his good works. And I want to set the stage for this lesson in this manner because I want you to see that what Jesus is teaching his disciples, there's a contrast to how the world and even the religious leaders of his day and our day today see things. That's what we need to see within this text this morning. Let's start by reading through, and then we'll break it down. Okay, verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that as we come into these verses of your teaching on the mount, that the works and those things that we do in life, 
Lord, those aren't the things that are primary, but it's who we are in you. That our righteousness, I pray that we would realize that this is what we possess. This is how we're covered as we abide in Jesus Christ by grace through faith in him, the son of God, who died for our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding and that you would help us understand what it truly means to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, and to know righteousness in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we commit this morning, this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, you are the salt of the earth. We need to understand something. Jesus never challenged us to become the salt of the earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus is not urging his disciples to become something that perhaps they may not be at the time. I understand you may not be truly the salt of the earth, but listen, listen, this is how you can work on your life in order for you to become the salt of the earth. No, he said, you, you are the salt of the earth. You as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, you're the salt of the earth. That's who you are. And since you are the salt of the earth, be the salt of the earth. Otherwise, you are of no value to glorifying God, even if you are. What he says here is, if, if you don't take being the salt of the earth seriously and genuinely in your life, understanding that you are, you're as good as the dirt upon which we trample. There's value in salt. We need to understand the culture and the day in which Jesus spoke these words. Because disciples are like salt in that they are precious. They are of great value. In Jesus' day, salt was a commodity. It was something that was greatly valued. The people knew the worth of salt. And it was very clear to them as Jesus illustrated this. He was teaching. He understood. They understood the meaning of his words. The expression, to be worth one salt, you've heard that before, right? It means that you are competent. You deserve what you're earning. And in fact, Roman soldiers in the day of Christ were paid in salt because they knew it was very valuable. So it had value. It also had preserving quality. The contrast here is Salt and corruption. Salt prevents corruption. Salt, of course, makes bland food taste better. Some of us put a little bit more salt in our food than others, right? Do you guys like, like not just a little pinch, but just like, just pour it out, put it in there. Do you taste your food before you even do that? Yeah, some, you know, I confess, no, I don't. But yeah, salt makes bland food taste a little better. And sometimes we hear it taught, this here, that we make the world a better place. But is that really what we're here to do? Is, is that really the purpose that God had for Christians in this world? 
to make it a better place to live in, to make it a little bit more palatable. If you think about it, it's like, no, not, not really. That's, that's not our purpose. In fact, sometimes we make a lot of people mad. <laughs> make some people a little uncomfortable. Don't we? We do. I mean, ultimately we do. Why? Because we communicate the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that I'm better off because someone just didn't demonstrate by their life that they were a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, but they actually communicated to me and told me how to be saved. You got to do that. So that's not the purpose, though, as far as just living your life and making the world a better place to be in. I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to stay there. Make it a happy place for everyone around you. Make sure they're having a good time and so are you. Don't you get that today in the world? It, right? Am I wrong? No, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to proclaim repentance, in fact. He said, repent and believe. That's what he said, repent. What, what does that mean? It means to turn, right? To turn from your sin and turn to him. He is not only your savior, but in him you find forgiveness. And we are to seek and save the lost, to reach out to people, and for Christ to turn the hearts of man unto him. The better place, after all, is in him, where he is. So then what is it about salt that we are to be? As Christians, we should reflect exemplifying a preserving nature. How we serve God's purpose in this manner is of greatest importance. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul calls for this gracious speech to be seasoned with salt. And what this means is that their speech is to reveal something very important. Seasoning to bring to the surface that which is most important. That is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was never Paul's works that got him in trouble. Do you know that? It wasn't his works. It was never his good works that got him persecuted. It was never his good works that got him chained and imprisoned. It wasn't his good works. For the church, persecuting the church was a good work. That is the church, the synagogue, the ones who sent Paul out or Saul at the time. That was a good work. It wasn't for that. It wasn't for anything else. But we need to understand that Paul wasn't asking for prayer to be delivered from prison. 
Hey, listen, I'm not asking for prayer to deliver me from this very place that I'm in right now. I'm in chains. I'm not asking for prayer for me to be delivered out of here. What was more important was an opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. And that the Colossians also take advantage, redeem the time, take advantage of every opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. For you to have every opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the one thing that gets a Christian persecuted that other people revile a Christian with is because we sprinkle that gracious speech with salty speech. That's what gets one persecuted. It happened then, and it happens today. Now, let me ask you a question. How can salt lose its saltiness? How can salt lose its saltiness? Can it lose its saltiness? It can be diluted, right? It can be diluted, but you can say it can never lose its saltiness. It's like this picture that Jesus is drawing in the minds and hearts of his disciples. And he says, listen, this is the unthinkable, that a follower of Jesus Christ would be without a clear testimony of him to his glory. It would be unthinkable. It's like this salt is worth nothing if it is not used for what it's intended to be used for. It's worth nothing. It just sits there. That's the only way that it can lose its saltiness. It's salty, but it's just sitting there. It's not placed in, in any place that it can do its effective work. You are the salt of the earth. The preserving force is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, you are the light of the world. Each and every one of you that are in Christ are the light of the world. Again, as I started the first section, I'll tell it to you this way. Jesus never challenges... Each and every one of us never challenged anyone to become the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. I, I see you're a little dim there. You see a flicker. And I just want to give you these real easy one, two, three steps that'll help you like really glow. Glow. To become something. Now, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And there's this contrast also that we see here. Light and darkness. I believe that Jesus is correcting the notion that man's works is the emphasis. A person's works is not what is front and center and the goal for a believer to display. Sometimes we live our lives that way, like, you know what, let's just do these things because they're on display and, you know, we have it backwards though. We should be doing it in response to who we are in Christ. Because those works, all of those things that we do, 
only reveal the light if indeed it lives within us. If indeed he lives within us. And truly, if we, if we really dig into this and like break it down, and we start to look at a lot of other texts, a lot of other verses, the question is, are we light? Or are we reflectors of his light? We may be the light of the world, but only as far as the light that came into the world is in us. John 1, verses 4 through 9, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We can stop right there, but we'll go on. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then John chapter 8, verse 12 says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those, those are just a few verses there. So the disciple of Jesus Christ has a light in himself because he is in Christ who is the light of the world. With this said, we go back to works. Works in itself is embraced by the world and we know that that is not the emphasis. The light is. The light is the emphasis. Matthew chapter 6 might be on the same same opening of your Bible. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. This is why it's important to take like the whole context of the Bible, you know, like to put it in proper context. Because then you come across something like this. We emphasize so much on works, on works and works. We could, if we take it out of context, and then we miss a whole point. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Some translations says reward you openly. Right? New King, King James Version, I believe, says that. So, it's obvious as we continue to go through the Word of God that, that that's not what we ought to be all about. Right? You don't do it so that everyone will see your good works and glorify you. Light and works is not the same. Jesus said, let your light shine before others. So, therefore, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the reflector of the true light who breaks the darkness of the world. And the glory that God desires is for people to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
of God. So the question is the same about the light as it was about the salt. Can light be any less light? Or is light light? Can light be darkness? No, it's, of course it's no, right? Well, but wait a minute. What if this light was placed under a basket? Is it still light? Yeah, it's still light. If you have a fire under there, it might burn the basket. And then there's a big light, right? But it's still light. But when it's hidden, is it worth anything to the dark? Like if I were to grab a light and then put a cover over it and then walk through the house, dark, dark house. I was walking through. Don't turn the lights off. Right? If I was walking through, how much good would that light do to me? Do for me? Not much at all, right? I mean, at some point, I'm, I may even like hurt myself, right, as I'm walking around. Why? Because that, that light is not serving its purpose. Take it out from under the basket, it, it serves its purpose. God's word is that light that reflects onto our feet, where we are, where we stand, and is that light to that path, where it shows us where we ought to walk. That's God's word. But it's serving the purpose of what God intended for it to do. Now, a, a light isn't worth anything. If it's placed somewhere off to the side in obscurity, no one knows about you. I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to do it with good works. That's it. No, they, they need to hear. They need to know. They need to be presented with. It's got to follow. I know sometimes, I'm telling you, I know it's like your, your palms get all sweaty, your heart starts to go because you know that God's calling you to share the word with someone. I know that. But know that God is with you and he desires for you to tell others about him. He is the light of the world. We are simply these vessels they're on these, in, in, in these fragile um, tenements of God's light. We're here for one moment, gone the next. See, this is how we're described. We're temporary. He's eternal. God dwells within us in his spirit. He's eternal. These shells, these bodies are temporary. We're here one moment, gone the next. Same time, it's like, oh, we have... We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have salvation. And we possess salvation in him. By grace through faith. And it's only in that way. That we are the light of the world. But we're the light to the world. We are what people see. And we should be what people hear from. Make sure you tell others of who he is. And let your life serve as an example of who Jesus is in your life. Thirdly, you are righteous in Christ. Verse 17, we'll read it once more. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, 
but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, just going into this study, looking at this text, we can go back and prove how it is that up to this point, there's been nothing left untouched. That so many prophecies, so much of God's word has already been fulfilled. That's a fact. That is not something up for debate. That's not something that we can go back and forth with. It is a fact. You look at the Old Testament, you look at the things that have been prophesied, and many, many things have already been fulfilled. Period. You can do your own research and find that out. It is true. Now, has Jesus, is Jesus uh, through this, challenging them as he's challenging us to become more righteous? No. Really? We either is or we ain't. That's proper English, isn't it? We either are or we are not righteous. All right? It has nothing to do with our works. It has to do with his works, his finished work on the cross. It's his righteousness that's been imputed to us on our account. What? That's wild. So even here, he's not saying, hey, listen, I want to I wanna make sure we get something straight here. I'm not saying that do away with the Old Testament. I'm not saying do away with the law. Because the Bible says that our righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the fulfillment of the law. So there's a contrast, another one. There's God's righteousness, and then there's self-righteousness. The two are in direct contrast. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3, cha- uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 22 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The problem at the time of Christ was that there were plenty of people that were self-righteous because of what they did. Plenty of people. But there couldn't have been a person who, in reality, did life perfectly. There was only one who walked the face of the earth perfectly, and that is Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. Jesus was, again, correcting and not contradicting the law and the prophets. And not the very word of God by saying that none of the law was to be followed. He wasn't saying that. It's wrong for us to say that. But that righteousness could not be apprehended or attained 
by good works. Now, please notice here, though, it says here in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, it doesn't say that they are therefore condemned or, um, sorry, but you're, you're kicked out now. Sometimes we come to this portion where we're like, okay, so you're teaching to compromise. Therefore, you must be, you know, and we can say that they're not a brother or sister in Christ and all of this. No, the, here's, here's this warning here. This is, this is a, a, a place in Scripture to where we can bring to the attention of someone, a brother or a sister, who is teaching compromise, who is teaching to lax. Um, you know, other people can, can relax in some of these, some of these laws. I mean, they're, they're just crazy. Who can do them? You know, who can live up to this? Well, no one. But at the same time, we should be responding in our lives to the glory of God. The Bible does say, be holy as I am holy. God speaking, right? But we need to also understand that this is a brother or sister in Christ. If they're, if they're preaching, if they're, if they're explaining the word of God, and yet they're teaching to relax in a certain area, you can call them out on it in love. And hopefully they respond and they receive that rebuke. Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. The law, number one, expresses the character of God and His will for man's life. Secondly, the law teaches us the true character of man. It reveals the sinfulness of man. That's what it does, is is it brings it to the surface. It was the Pharisees' interpretation of the law that weakened its power to search the motives of men's hearts. So Jesus was correcting their false interpretation. Jesus did not weaken the law, but gave it its true meaning. That's what he was doing here. Jesus fulfilled the law in demonstrating that it was not a burden, and it was, in fact, his very food to do the will of the Father, according to John 4.34. So this, this is my food, to do the will of the Father. And Jesus fulfilled the law on the cross. Jesus reveals the reality of the laws of, of, the laws of holiness. As he bore the penalty of sin, of us breaking the law and taking our place before the judgment seat of God, before being judged. When Jesus cried out as he expressed the knowledge of God's forsakenness, it pierced the darkness in that day and proclaimed that the penalty of the broken law truly is a separation between God and man. And he bore our sins in its entirety, completely, perfectly. Jesus also fulfilled the law by writing it on our hearts. That was his promise and gives us understanding through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was his promise and it is his desire that we fulfill the desires of the Spirit, which, by the way, are in line with the Word of God. And Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep some of my commandments and then others, whatever you don't want to do, you know, it's burdensome, then put them off to the side. He didn't, right? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now we can take that and run with it. Why? Because we interpret love to be whatever it is that we want it to be. Right? What truly is loving one's neighbor? And in so doing, we fulfill the, the, the law. It is not what we do with works again, but who we communicate and reflect. Is it truly Christ? Love is not the absence of warning and tolerance of sin. Love is the communication of God's grace, which when known in Christ becomes salvation, and we see the law really for what it is. A revealer of our own sin and our critical need. For Jesus Christ, who is a fulfillment of the law, as we could never be. We could never be. The law is at that point no longer a burden since it is not kept or lived to gain salvation, but because by grace we know salvation in Jesus Christ by faith and therefore live to please Him who has saved us. We come to understand that we are just responding to the love of Christ. We are understanding forgiveness. We are understanding His grace. And therefore we respond as living sacrifices unto the eternal King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We're living. It's a response. Someone who teaches that, that it's okay to compromise in some area of the word of God is least in the kingdom of heaven. But, for the one who teaches the word and lives it, in other words, not only do you teach it, but um, your words correspond with the things that you do in life, who you are, well, that person is considered to be great in the kingdom of God. Not just a, a hearer of the word of God, but also a doer. A hearer, speaker, doer, it all comes together. You're considered great in the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness will exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees in Christ. That's the only way our righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. Even in that, in that day, they understood that. For us, we can have all kinds of different examples of perhaps public figures that we've come to know that's front and center. You, you can have your own name in your mind at this point. And you can say that Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of fill in the blank. You have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Zero. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is it possible then? How can anyone? I mean, that's a good person. That's a person that is just amazing. Well, the only way our righteousness can exceed that of which it can only be seen on the surface is to know the Savior personally, is to have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and to be covered with the right, His righteousness. It is a work that has already been accomplished, perfected in Christ Jesus. In Him we are found perfect in the sight of God. So number one, you are the salt of the earth. You can't become any more salty. You're, you just are in Christ. You are the light of the world. And you are righteous in Christ. I, I thought it was interesting. Got salt all over. So I was thinking about salt. Like, have you ever done that experiment? 
to where you have salt, you have a light, you have some wires, you have water. We do have water. No, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't have wires. But I, I was thinking, it's pretty interesting how it is that, um, I don't know, I, I must have been absent somehow that day in class. But maybe you weren't. <laughs> um, but, but I know that you can make a light work, right? Is that true? Is that right? Did you know that um, salt water is a good conductor of electricity? So I thought, that, that's interesting. So I had to ask my brain, so I did. I asked Google. <laughs> and, um, you know, about this whole uh, salt water being a good conductor of electricity, and, and this, is, this is what I came up with. Salt water is a good conductor of electricity because it is an electrolyte solution. So something like salt... Um, you know, is, a, is considered to be an electrolyte and can conduct electric current. Salt water is a mixture that consists of water and sodium chloride. When sodium chloride dissolves in water, the water separates the sodium and chlorine ions. So that's interesting. I thought, so salt is a separator. And we're called to be the salt of the earth. Oh, wait a minute. No, we are... <laughs> We are the salt of the earth. That means that when we come in contact with the world, we should not only separate, but when, when, when things separate, that means that which is not of God and that which is of God, that it helps this electricity be conducted in this light to shine brightly and work. So I thought, ah, man, the light went on. No pun intended, right? I thought, that, that's awesome. Isn't it? That when you think about these things and you start like thinking about it and putting them together, how it is that God is absolutely amazing. All the little details and the way he taught then and he teaches us today is I can say truly brilliant. It is brilliant. When we are at our saltiest when we are at our brightest, people must either persecute us for Christ's sake or glorify our Father who is in heaven. There's no in-between. Christ seeks to preserve life to the corrupt life without Him while you are on earth and give eternal life with Him. Christ is the light of the world and we are to reflect Him with our words and let our life coincide with His word. And always remember that our righteousness is found in Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. It's not our works. So Jesus was correcting people in his day. He's still correcting people today. We may think one way, and again, when we come to the intersection and, and our road collides with God's, we understand the direction that we've been going in, the way we've been thinking has been kind of off a little bit, we always have to yield to him and receive that correction and go in a different different way. Let's let your light so shine before others 
that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I pray, for that, pray that for us today. That we would truly grasp, that we would really like, just realize what it means to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to understand that our righteousness is, is not anything that we do, anything that we kind of muster up, but it's all in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we come into that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we come under his righteousness. And when the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of the Son. Nothing else on our works. Our works are like filthy garments. Even on our best day, we can't even come close. So that's why Christianity it is not about steps one, two, three. It's one. I surrender all. I surrender all. That's what it's all about. It's about surrender. It's about just giving in, giving up. As we confess our sins to him and we receive his forgiveness, we are forgiven indeed. He places our sins as far as the east is from the west, tosses them into the ocean, the depths. No one can get them out. We certainly shouldn't. And we stand as forgiven before the Father because of the Son. We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you are encouraged to go out and um, be a conduit of that light. Tell others about Jesus Christ and see what God does in in that work. See how it is that as you're obedient to that, that you can truly do the work of an evangelist. And God will be faithful to his word. Some will plant, some will water, and some will reap a harvest. But he's the one who gives the increase. Let us always remember that. Be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world, and stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know that righteousness in Jesus Christ, you don't know what it is to be forgiven, I pray that today be the day of salvation. What do you do? You confess your sins to God. You ask him to forgive you. Why? Because they're, they're before him. Not before anyone else. They're before him. You ask him for forgiveness of your sins. You ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried and on the third day was resurrected from the grave. You believe on Jesus Christ for who he says he is, what we see in the word of God he, for who he is in the word of God. Pray that this morning you would not leave here without knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and we always stand in front. I have my wife come up, um, the elders, some of the leaders, they come up. We're available here to pray with you. And we'd love to hear that you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that you've, you've gained eternal life, and you now have the hope of forever being in his glory in heaven because of that. We would love to encourage you and tell you how it is that uh, you, can, you can continue to walk in, walking with them, coming to the church for fellowship and hearing the word of God and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We had a wonderful time of prayer last week. And um, again, we're here. So if anyone needs prayer for any reason, I encourage you to come up. We'd love to pray for you. Okay?
Be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world. That's what we're called to be because we are, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to carry out that which we are in our lives. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are the very agents and vessels that carry the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation. Jesus, you said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to communicate the good news to the world and allow your light to shine, to reflect your glory to others. That again, as, as they look to us, that they simply see Jesus in us and not anything else. That they would praise you, not our good works, but that they would praise you and in the end would come also to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone who is here who does not know salvation. Father, I pray that today... Lord, that uh, the walls, the barriers would be knocked down, that the hardness of their hearts would be uh, just completely peeled away, that there would be a softness toward you, and that today would be the day in which they yield to you. That which is corrupt in sin and come into a place in Christ and be righteous before you because of his covering, accepting his death, to be the place in which their sin has been nailed to the cross. They trust in the Jesus that three days later resurrected from the grave and therefore are alive in Christ. I pray, Lord, that they would look to you, the author and perfecter of their faith, in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. They grasp that and understand it and proclaim it with complete confidence that you, Jesus, are Lord and you are Savior. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.